1: The 189th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now.
0: From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast.
1: We win 54-53, North Carolina did it. North
0: Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, oh, way to win!
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today, getting you ready for Carolina and Notre Dame. Saturday morning in the Smithson. we're going to break down the matchup with the Fighting Irish, get you everything you need to know about, about Notre Dame, update you on some stuff around Carolina, give our keys to the game, pick the game, and more. We also got to break down another commitment that Carolina landed in the 2024 recruiting class. But before we do any of that, we start every edition of the pod as we always do with our pod thought of the day, which is brought to you by DraftKings. And we go back to the goat, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who once said, never say never because limits like fears are often an illusion. And, um, you know, not that this one indirectly replies or, or, or applies to Carolina, but you know that 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 never say never attitude was something that this team you know could have really you know or really used last year, getting into the tournament when it felt like their chances of getting in were, were very bleak, making a run to the Final Four, making a run and, and coming a rebound short away from winning a national championship, and right now with this team. As, as you know frustrated as we are at, at times as underwhelming as they have been at times we can't we it's still it's still it's still too early to say never say never this team can still accomplish all of its regular season goals which is to win a conference championship and still accomplish all of their postseason goals which is to win an ACC tournament to make a final four and win a national championship. Let's move on now, really quickly, to some more recruiting news for Carolina. Uh, on Monday evening, they they landed the commitment of four-star big man James Brown, the singer. That day, when when I first saw the tweet, I'm not even joking. You thought he was coming? You thought he was coming to the Smith Center? Well, I just thought it was like a parody tweet. Like I thought it was just a joke because I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not gonna lie and say that I'm totally plugged in on recruiting. But I generally know who the guys that Carolina is involved in. This name just completely kind of slipped my mind. And so when I saw that he had just committed out of the blue, I thought there was some joke to be had following this, but it wasn't. Uh, He's the number 27 overall player in the 2024 class, the number six center in the class. And the number one player from the state of Illinois, he hails from Chicago. So, you know, Hubert Davis has said that he wants to be really involved in the recruiting area of the New York, New Jersey area. He's done that. Now he's in Chicago, and Chicago has been a long time hotbed for great, you know, high school to to college to eventual NBA talent. And and all of a sudden Carolina's got, you know, their their next big man. Their, their their next big man that's going to come into Carolina and continue this tradition that what you've seen from now with Armando Baycott the next really big is going to be Jalen Washington and from Jalen Washington it's going to be James Brown and um, all of a sudden this 2024 class is coming together really nicely you've got the five star prospect Elliot Um, you know there are there's a lot of potential for him to reclassify and enroll in the program next year, but you've got him, you've got local in-state product, Drake Powell that's committed. He's a four-star. And now you've got this four-star commit in, in James Brown. And, you know, when you're looking at recruiting classes and how important they're going to be, that 2024 class was really important for the, the you know, the next three to five years of Carolina basketball under Hubert Davis. And it appears with three commits, all four stars are better. They're going to be in good hands with the talent that's going to come to Chapel Hill.
0: Yeah, I mean, you really couldn't have asked for a much better start. I mean, number one in the country right now, and, you know, when you look at it, I think the thing that is most enticing about this class already is that you've got your point guard, and even if he reclassifies, you would imagine that with him, Wiltshire, Trimble. one I mean, you're going to have – at least one of those guys will stay for uh, a, a good amount of time probably 3 4 years and you you know there there could be a chance that you know one of the other guys stays for a little bit as well so you feel good about your backcourt and what you've done back there that's been a position that Carolina has also just been able to recruit really really easily under Hubert Davis James Brown's huge though because he's a big man now, again, it's 6'9", guy that, you know, isn't exactly going to probably be, uh, I mean, he's, he's not going to be your typical five that Carolina has had in the past that are typically seven foot or bigger, but still, a guy that provides size, that fits kind of what Hubert is going to want in his bigs, and the most important thing that Carolina needs down there right now is depth, because that's been one of their biggest issues with the big men. We saw it. Uh, you know, the other night in the game against Wake Forest, they, you know, end up seeing Pete Nance leave the game and they have to go to Jalen Washington. And after Jalen Washington, then you have to go small and go to Justin McCoy. So that's an area where they've needed to add guys. And again, with with Brown, you got to wait until the 24 class. So it's still a little bit of time off, but it's good to see that Carolina is looking to the future and adding some depth there to make sure that they are still going to be strong down low. And then Drake Powell, who has been the guy that's been committed the longest to this class, there's your wing guy. So it's a very balanced class for Carolina. You would imagine they're still going to be aggressive on that recruiting trail as well. Maybe could look for another big, depending on you know what happens with some of the other guys that are currently on campus. And... I think, you know, if they need to get another guard because Cadu reclassifies and you see, you know, him and Wilcher leave early or whatever, then they will do that. But this is this is a really good start and it just shows that this this staff is doing a tremendous job at recruiting right now. Um, you know, people took a little bit of issue with Roy Williams towards the end of his his tenure, the way that he was recruiting. I still think he was recruiting at a pretty high level and people just like to complain, but there's no question right now. There's no way that you can question what Hubert Davis is doing on the recruiting trail now. I mean, you're you're right. With this one, this was one that I don't think really anybody expected. It kind of came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. this decision. So it just shows how much they are actually doing behind the scenes even in season, to try to land the future of this program.
1: The thing I like about the most that you've seen from Hubert Davis and his recruiting philosophy is that he's getting the high-end, four-star, five-star talent, guys that could be in Chapel Hill for just a year or two. But he's also complementing that with a Drake Powell a James Brown, a guy that's probably going to be in school for, you would probably imagine, three to four years. And the and the, the thing about it is, even though Carolina's already got three commits, the class is ranked number one, they're not done. Mm-hmm. They're heavily involved in the recruitments of Ian Jackson, Jaron Stevenson, Boogie Fland, which if that guy shows up in Chapel Hill, I'm going to have a lot of fun just with his name alone. And then Trenton Flowers, and so um, I think that's the thing is that you know th- this staff, and you got to give a lot of credit to Sean May. He was the recruiter here for James Brown. He's really becoming a star in that aspect of of his coaching career, being able to get getting getting the, the 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 homes of these families, and sell guys on the vision. That's the biggest reason why Huber Davis wanted. All Carolina guys on his staff, because he felt like it made it easier to recruit both the five stars or the guys that are going to be, you know, around for a year or two. And so, you know, this 24 class is really coming together nicely, um, and I think it, you know, it's starting to really ease the concerns because, you know, after Gigi Jackson decommitted, there was a lot of people that started having their questions about Hubert Davis as a recruiter. He's responded very well, very nicely. The staff has responded very nicely and you know just on paper as we look at it, the hands of Carolina basketball, they're well, they're in good ones with Hubert Davis. Let's now transition to our game preview uh against Notre Dame. Um, and th- this is a game that that Carolina is going to be heavily favored to win, um, and-, and this is going to be a game that for Notre Dame they're they're looking for something to jumpstart their season after everything they did so well a year ago. This team finished second in the ACC. They made the NCAA tournament. Um, you know they they did a lot of good things last year, and a lot of those guys came back. They're just eight and seven overall they're 0-4 in the ACC. And yeah, they're it, bad, man. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they've got five guys at average double-figure scoring led by Nate Leschewski, 13.4 points, almost eight boards. He's shooting 52% from the field, 37% from three. J.J. Starling, 12.5 points, three rebounds. He's shooting 43% from the field, 35% from three. Cormac Ryan, a guy who I think founded the university, 12.1 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.1 assists. Came over on the Pinta, I heard. (laughs) Shooting 44% from the field, 39% from three. Dane Goodwin, 11.7 points, 4.3 boards, two assists. 45%, 46% Forty-five percent, forty-six percent from behind the arc. Trey works ten point one points, two and a half boards, three and a half assists. He's shooting forty-two percent from the field and thirty-two percent from three. So they got a lot of dudes back from last year. They're putting up the type of numbers that you're typically seeing from a, you know, a, from from a Notre Dame team that's been coached under Mike Bray for you know going on twenty years now. But for some reason, the wins just aren't there. Um, and I think that's going to be the thing that Carolina's got to really come into this game and be mindful of, that, look, what, Notre Dame's record isn't isn't very good. And, I mean, they, this is a team that's lost to St. Bonaventure at home. They've lost to Syracuse, another team in the ACC that isn't very good. They <laughs> well, lost to Georgia. Well,
0: they're 3-1 and one in conference yeah. play, so who knows? You know, this who is a team that's
1: lost to Georgia and Florida State. They lost to Boston College, but uh. this is an experienced team that – Still has a lot, they still have a lot of good basketball in them. And if Carolina doesn't approach this game the right way, they could get tripped up. Well, here's the reason why this team isn't good
0: it's because, yeah, you mentioned they got four, they got five guys. All five of their starters are in double figures. That's pretty much the only guys that score for them, though, because they average 69.7 points per game, which is 234th in the country. So, they are a team that is pretty much what Carolina was a year ago. I mean, they've got a couple of guys off the bench that they will play. Marcus Hammond, who's played in eight games so far this season, he averages 19.8 minutes per game. And then you've got Van Allen Lubin, who has played in all 15 games for them, who averages 16.9 minutes. But that's it. That's that's their rotation. They have seven guys and it's not even a guarantee that they're going to use all of those guys. So a lot, it, they, they rely on their starters heavily, and their starters are not anywhere near as good as the Iron Five that we saw a year ago. That's their biggest issue. They got a lot of experience, but they don't have guys that really seem to be able to take over games. Now, the problem is, is that for Carolina... This is a game where you're coming off of what felt like a big win. You can look at Wake Forest tournament standing, whatever, their record, however you want to view them and say, well, that really wasn't all that big of a win. No, that was a pretty big win for Carolina, Mm -hmm. especially after that loss to Pittsburgh. And I get it. Pittsburgh looking pretty good so far. But that felt like coming off of a four-game winning streak, having that, Week that week or so off. It was deflating. It was yeah. It was deflating because it felt like this was a team that you were wondering, are they going back to what we saw? They were zero and two on the road in in conference play. We still, you know, to be honest, at that point, didn't really know if Pittsburgh was all that great. Why have we changed our tune? Probably a little bit. Well, they just went and beat Virginia. So who, who I, I think
1: we can all agree, right? ACC
0: is not great. Virginia is the best team in the ACC
1: right now. I would say, yeah, they're the best team. I I still think Carolina has the best, the most upside in terms of winning this. Conference oh, I agree with that. And competing for a national title. Oh, I agree with that.
0: But I think that Virginia probably has the has the highest floor of anybody right now. You feel pretty safe that that's a tournament team. So for them to go up and pick up that win, that was pretty huge. So. And And now you saw the performance last night. Again, it's at home. Maybe it was just that Carolina was coming off of the Christmas layoff. And to be honest with you, maybe they were just feeling themselves a little bit. This game will show mm. where exactly that mindset is at because this is an eleven
1: thirty tip. this is this is a maturity game.
0: yeah, this is ele- this is an eleven thirty tip on a Saturday where I'm gonna be honest with you. I know it's a weekend game. How many people are honestly going to be here for this game? This could be a pretty, a pretty sleepy environment, at least early in the game. So we're going to find out how locked in this Carolina team actually is. Because on paper, you should be able to win this game pretty easily. And if you extend what you did the other night, it shouldn't be that hard. But in reality, this is a team in Notre Dame that... I mean, I I don't know if they're. I mean, maybe they, they are at this point already. They they're, they they kind of have nothing to lose because their season their season might already be over.
1: Yeah, and the thing about him is, is like Mike Bray is as still as good as a coach as there is. You know, not just in this conference, but in all the college basketball, he knows how to play against Carolina since Notre Dame joined the league. They, as as much as any Big East team, they have given Carolina the most consistent fit year after year, and so Carolina is going to have their hands full. Let's look at this game from the Carolina perspective. The heels enter with a ten and five record overall. They are two and two in the ACC as of January third. Joe Lennardi has them seated as a six seed in the Midwest. So we saw them drop two two seed lines in the region change from the west to the Midwest. Um, Carolina has four players, currently averaging double-figure scoring. Still led by Armando Baycott's 18.6 points, 11.1 rebounds, shooting an efficient 57% from the field. Caleb Love, despite back-to-back games where he scored less than 10 points, uh, he is still second on the team in scoring 16.8 points, 4.1 rebounds, 3.4 assists. He's shooting 40% from the field and 28% from three. R.J. Davis is now up to 16.7 points, 5.3 boards, 3.3 assists. His numbers just after the the performance against Wake Forest, he's now up to 44% shooting from the field and 34% from three, so his numbers are really starting to climb. And then Pete Nance, 10.9 points, 6.1 rebounds. He's shooting 50% from the field and 34% from three, right now, as of recording, we don't know if Pete Nance is going to be able to play in this game. My my initial guess, given how quick of a turnaround it is from a late Wednesday night tip to an early Saturday morning tip, I don't think Pete Nance plays. I, I mean that. No, back, I'd be shocked. You know, yep. that back issue really bothered him in the game against Pittsburgh. He gave it five days. And, I mean, he effectively just took himself out of the game the other night against Wake Forest. I know he's going to have almost three full days of treatment. I don't think he plays just from just from a state of precaution. That brings a lot to worry about Carolina's lineup from a starting standpoint. But also, this is a good chance for Seth Trimble, DeMarco Dunn, Jalen Washington, and Puff Johnson, Justin McCoy even— to really get some more run in this game because Hubert Davis will probably have to play a few lineups that you probably haven't seen so far this season. And so this this injury in the long run, if it causes him to miss a game or even two, could be the best thing for Carolina because we were looking at this team coming out of Pittsburgh and saying, are we back to playing six, maybe seven guys at most? Well, the other night, Hubert Davis played nine guys in the first half. Like, he went as deep as we've seen him in his year and a half on the job, and maybe just maybe his absence forces Carolina to create some more depth that maybe we wouldn't have seen had he not gotten hurt. Well, and it was kind
0: of forced because, as you said, he leaves the game early, so they have to go to Jalen Washington. Jalen Washington then gets into foul trouble, so then they have to turn to a guy that hadn't played in four of the last five games in Justin McCoy. So, yeah, this was – this was kind of a forced hand for Hubert Davis, but you saw some guys that stepped up, and you saw a lineup that worked really, really well for you late in the game because you didn't have Pete Nance uh, at your disposal. Carolina ran with that three-guard lineup uh, with with Love, Davis, and Trimble in the backcourt. You had Leaky Black playing at the four, and you had Armando Baycott at the five. And I'm going to be honest with you, in this game, that lineup – I said it when we were recapping the game against Wake Forest, and you said, look, that this is a lineup that might, might not necessarily need to uh, start games all the time. I think this could be one of the games where starting that lineup could be very beneficial for you because we know how Notre Dame likes to play. They... They they play four around one, and they've got a guy at the five that can stretch the floor extremely well, too. Now, Armando, this, this is not something that should be foreign to him at this point. He has faced Leshevsky multiple times now, so he knows the type of challenge that he's in for. I think having that more athletic lineup on the floor, having Leaky Black out there, your best defender, along with Seth Trimble, who I, I think at this point is... Is your best? I mean, I think he's your se- he's your second best defender overall, and I think he's your best on ball defender of the guards. I only think that can help you in this game because to me, I think one of the, the one of the ways that you get off to a really good start is just I mean, do, if you can force Notre Dame into some bad shots early on, if you can ruin the confidence of this team early, they do not have the offensive prowess to stick with you in this game. So I think that could be a big key, and that's why I think you want to see, you know, that small lineup, and yeah, you you want to see some of the other guys in this game. Let's let's see that depth, and who knows? Like I said, somebody brought it up on social media um, when we were recapping the Wake Forest game, I brought it up. I think... This game, you have no idea heading in who could actually play. Mm-hmm. This could be the game where Tontres Styles reappears. This could be Puff Johnson playing eighteen minutes instead of Justin McCoy playing uh 17 the other night like who knows so we'll have to wait and see but it'll be interesting to see how much depth Carolina is able to use in this
1: game and I want to see that small lineup as often as possible against the fighting Irish. We've now set the scene for Carolina and Notre Dame so now we're going to take a quick break we're going to get you the latest ad from DraftKings and when we come back we'll give our keys to the game and pick the game here on the Four Corners podcast back after this message from DraftKings The NBA season is heating up and there are still so many games coming up, like if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets, the 76ers are in town, the Minnesota Timberwolves are in town, or if you're a Knicks fan like me, there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings Stepped Up Same Game Parlays. Go to DraftKings, go go to the DraftKings sportsbook app now. Place a same game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds and more. The more the more you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win, so whether you're betting on just a straight up win or how many, you know, 3s Steph Curry is going to have or how many rebound rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have. You can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any on on any NBA team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code tbpn only at draftkings sportsbook minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply see show notes for details we really hope you guys are taking great advantage of the offers I've been giving you here on the four corners podcast same for anthony over there on the heel tough blog podcast and the very first key i have to this game is, is for Carolina to come ready to play because this is this is an unusual start time. Uh, the Carolina hasn't played at 11:30 in the morning on the East Coast in my lifetime that I can remember. When they played in Portland, remember it was one o'clock Eastern time, but it was ten o'clock out there. So they've they've had to play in an early game before, and they kind of slept their way through that one and. You know, this is something where this is where, you know, T V really gets in the way. We we we've seen the Big East used to do this back in the old days when their T V deal was with Fox, they'd have an eleven or eleven thirty AM start. And so, as you mentioned, early start, even though it's a weekend game, probably means that the Smith Center won't be as full as it usually is for a weekend game. Carolina may have to come out there and create their own energy. And so this is where a team that's got Four starters back from a national title game appearance, you've got maybe Pete Nance if he's in the lineup, and then you've got some reserves that that played some big games last year. This is a game that Carolina's got to show up just ready to play from the get-go, because if if they don't and they're not ready to play, you could allow wait or you could allow Notre Dame to, to establish some rhythm, get some confidence, and, and maybe make this game a lot closer, a lot tougher than what it should be, and so. Something I really want to see is, you know, how does Armando Baycott, who called this team out, how does that team respond to that? Are, are they ready to go from where go? Because I think if Carolina comes in, and, and even though they trailed their night at, against Wake Forest, I thought they were ready to play. I thought they were just playing a really good basketball team. Mm-hmm. I think if Carolina comes out with that same energy, effort, attentiveness on both ends of the court, I'm not saying the game will be over by halftime. But I think Carolina could really put themselves in a position to where, you know, you can rest some dudes in the second half. You can get some guys some more run. But it's all about if they come out ready to play. You hear NBA coaches say all the time, "We didn't come out with any energy." Well, if Carolina comes out with energy, I think they can put away a Notre Dame team that's been struggling all season long.
0: Yeah, I, I think. that I mean, that's the biggest thing is that you know you just have to. You have to create your own energy almost because, again, I don't know how packed the Smith Center is going to be for this game. I don't know what the environment is going to be for this one because – it is an early morning game. It's against a team that is probably one of the worst that you're going to see roll through the Smith Center this year. Because yeah, Carolina, the the one game they play against Louisville, they do go on the road for, so that team won't be coming there. Florida State also on the road. So yeah, this is one that some people may be like, eh, ah, do I really do I really want to wake up and go early to this game? So yeah, it could definitely be a sleepy environment. And you're coming off that win against Wake Forest. I'm not going to say you expanded a ton of energy to win that game. This is we're not talking about this being a game against Duke or something like that. But you you still it's just you want to see the veterans on this team come out and and really as you said show the leadership. Try to, you know, come out and 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 Generate something early mm-hmm. in the game. Put your get yourself in an early rhythm because uh, you know one. If you come out that slow and you give Notre Dame some life, it could be one of those games where yeah, they just they're that needle in your side that hangs around the entire game. And like we saw against Pittsburgh, if you let a team hang around, it they are capable of sometimes just finding enough. A player has a big day and goes off, and they beat you. One way that Carolina has to do this is limit the turnovers. We talked about it against Wake Forest. One of the reasons why Carolina, you know, why Wake Forest was in that game, and credit to Wake Forest, I think this was because, you know, they are a really good basketball team. Um, but I think it was also in part due to the fact that Carolina was just careless with the basketball. They turned the ball over six times mm-hmm. in the first eight minutes of the game. There have been multiple times that that's happened this year. Including, you know, a loss to Virginia Tech. So well, on,
1: on the flip side, Notre Dame only forces eight point seven turnovers per game. They only force that.
0: Yeah. So I mean, if you're smart with the basketball, this is not. A, they're they're not a team that's going to push the issue. But as we've seen with Carolina, there are times. It, look, it, it, no matter how good this team is, is is at creating turnovers. If Caleb Love's going to try, try to go through another double team twenty feet from the basket and leave his feet. He's going to turn the ball over like that. I mean, it's going to happen. So, I think it's just about being smart early in the game. Don't ha- don't don't you know create those opportunities, those extra opportunities for Notre Dame. Because yeah, Wake Forest didn't capitalize on them, but we saw earlier in the year you turned it over a lot against Virginia Tech, and they sure as hell capitalized on him. So. I think that's going to be big. And then the other thing I want to see is we talked about it when we were recapping the game against Wake Forest for Caleb Love. But I think it's just in general. In this game, you saw some of the other guys that stepped up for you the other night against the Demon Deacons. If, if there's a guy that comes out slow, put him on the bench, put somebody else in. Just, I mean, you you've got some of these guys at, at at your disposal here. They've showed that they are capable of at least holding it down for you know a, a four minute stretch. Put these guys in the game. Don't wait if guys are really just looking lethargic. Let's send a message that hey, it's unacceptable to come out and play the way that you did for most of that game against Pittsburgh. Armando called it out. I'm not worried about him bringing the effort. I think R.J. Davis will be ready to go. But if some of the other guys are struggling, put some of these younger guys in the game and send a message that, hey, we need to wake up.
1: The second key I have is Carolina needs to build off of that offensive performance we saw in that second half against Wake Forest where they shot where they scored 51 points and shot 60% from the field. And the biggest thing I liked about it was that they attacked the game the, the, the right way. The ball went inside first. Their three-point shooting was so much better because they forced Wake Forest's defense to collapse, and all of a sudden, R.J. Davis is getting clean looks at the rim from behind the three-point line. I thought they got out and they ran. It, I mean, look, as as much as they, they scored against College of Charleston, as much as they scored against Portland, that... Last 10, 12 minutes against Wake Forest was as good as offense Carolina's played all season long. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- you know. And, look, we were talking about a team that – we're talking about an offense that hasn't – that struggled. They're still top 12, top 15 in Kempom. Like, they're still scoring the ball in efficient manners, mainly because of what they're doing from the foul line. They are – if I heard it right on the broadcast, they're the highest-scoring team in the ACC this season. Uh, that that might uh, – I know them and Wake Forest are really close because Wake Forest can really put the ball in the basket. And, and so I think that's something where, like, now that you're in conference play – now it's really about you know building off of what you're doing. And Carolina did a lot of good things on offense in that Wake Forest game. Now you got to build off of that. That's one thing that they've just really struggled to do this season is put really two good games together. Even in the four-game winning streak, they were some uneven performances. Well, I thought Carolina the other night on the offensive end played as close to a complete 40 minutes as we've seen from them all season long, you're going up against a lesser opponent. You're going up, you're going up against a team that has less depth, which means they 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 have less uh, resistance on the defensive end of the court. I want to see R.J. Davis have another 20-point game. Armando Baycock, can he get to five straight games with 20 points or more? Can Caleb Love start to find some sort of rhythm and confidence on the offensive end? I want to see not just players build off of that performance, but this team as a whole build up what they did so well on offense the other night. Well, I think it's about finding the easy baskets, too. Like you said,
0: attacking the rim getting the ball inside to Armando and making that a focus? Because I thought early in the game against Wake Forest, that was not one of the focuses. And I was frustrated with that, and I said it to you. I don't understand why they are not putting the ball inside to Armando. This is one of those games, again, go after this Notre Dame team. Because Lashevsky is, you know, again – solid player, His he, he's a guy that his strength is on the offensive end of the floor. This is not a defensive big that should be able to shut down Armando, and they need to go after him. And the other thing is, I want to see him be aggressive going to the rim because one, this team has proven this season, they've had their moments where they they've had some timely misses, but they're a good foul shooting team. And two, if they can draw fouls against this team, I told you, this team is seven deep. That's it. They are extremely thin. So if you can find any way to get one or two guys into foul trouble, that will really throw things off for an already struggling Notre Dame team. And I think getting out on the fast break would will, will be huge too. Create some turnovers like you did the other night. And look, if that means throwing out that press again, I know you want to see it for 40 minutes. It's probably not going to happen. But even if you use it the way that you did the other night, where you just strategically use it to get them out of their rhythm, you saw what it did to Wake Forest. It, it, it'll you know it, it took them out of rhythm and they started turning the ball over even in normal defensive sets. The next few possessions down the floor. I think they need to throw that out there again because if they can create turnovers on this team and get out and run, this team does not have the horses. They, they, you could see by their scoring numbers, they don't have the offensive firepower to hang around with Carolina. And in terms of individual guys, I'd love to see R.J. Davis come out and – follow up that performance that he had with another really strong performance, scoring around 20 a game, twenty in this game. Because it just feels like you've never really seen that from R.J. You've seen those moments where he comes out and scores the ball well. And, I mean, he's, it's not that he doesn't score the ball at all, but you want to see him shrink together some of these performances where he can get up into, you know, maybe eventually, as the conference season goes along, get into that, you know, that 17, 18, maybe even nineteen point per game threshold, uh, and I think to do that, he would need to build off of that performance. I'm also really intrigued to see what Leaky Black does after what he did in this game, because I think you talk about a guy that's taken a, a step on the offensive end of the floor that's starting to show more consistency. I think that's I think that's been Leaky. I know he, you know, the the shooting some nights kind of comes and goes. But I think whenever he has, you know, looked for his offense for the most part this season, he, he's found it relatively consistently, and he has been an effective piece that you know doesn't render him, uh, you know, a guy that is in most people's minds useless at times on the offensive end of the floor.
1: The last key I have written down is defense, and because the main reason why is even though Notre Dame only averages roughly about seventy points per game. They do have five guys that, that average double-figure scoring, and so Carolina's got to be attentive to that. Um, and so with that, I want to see the full-court press more frequently. Uh, maybe I can press Hubert Davis into pressing for 40 minutes. I don't know. I mean, last year I made some – you know, I I, I, I I came on here with some, some strong comments about how to get the season turned around. And this team became a rebound away from winning a national championship. So I think all I know you, what I'm talking you. about. Um, but it really just comes to really kind of like following up with coming ready to play. It's, it's really a mindset thing. Like, can you come out ready to play defense for 40 minutes at 1130 in the morning? Can you come out and be ready to to take, a, take those guys away? Look. Their guys are going to make shots. LeChessie's going to make a shot that he probably shouldn't make. Same thing with Cormac, Ryan, Goodwin, and even worse. But I thought Carolina did such a really good job the other night on Tyree Appleby where they had to make the other guys try to to beat them, and those guys couldn't. The thing about... Notre Dame is that while it starts with while it starts with with Lischewski, they play as a team on offense. It's not just one guy initiating everything like Appleby is for Wake Forest, and so it's got to be a thing where Carolina's communication is good. Their closeouts are good. They're getting rebounds. They're they're forcing turnovers and stuff like that. So I think a lot like on offense, if Carolina treats this game with the maturity level that you should see from a team that is as experienced as Carolina is, I think that they can make life a little bit harder for Notre Dame on offense. If not, if Carolina comes out and they don't you know, apply any pressure defensively and they let Notre Dame get comfortable, get in rhythm, and get some confidence. They've got five dudes that can fill the bucket up in a variety of different ways. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen it. They're a team that,
0: you know, Carolina is going to have to be able to rotate extremely well in this game because they have five guys that can shoot the ball from beyond the arc. And that's, that's something that has bothered Carolina when they've played this team in years past. It's why a lot of those games have been competitive or Carolina has lost. So I think that's something that they've got to look for in this game. And you would imagine, even even with the numbers that they have, and look, this is not a team that is playing great basketball by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, a lot of the numbers on the offensive end are pretty rough. I mean, this, this right now... This season, I mean, you look at their assist numbers so far this year. I mean, they are extremely low, only eleven point. I mean, two hundred ninetieth in the country in assists. But the thing they don't they don't do is turn the ball over a lot. So if they come out and do what we know they're going to do, which is shoot the three ball, that the one area that they're having some success, 42nd in the country at 37.7%. That could be what allows this team to hang around. We've seen it with a couple of teams so far this season. One of the reasons why Virginia Tech, why Carolina was never never able to get the, back into that game before you know the late push was because that team just shot the lights out from 3 and if you're not careful this could be a similar type of game because we've seen it from this team before so yeah i think that's going to be the key is you know taking away that that Uh, That three-point line, I think you're going to have to see Carolina rotate pretty well because this is a team that does screen, and they've screened you heavily in years past. So I I think doing that, taking away the lane again, not allowing them to drive inside and get easy looks will be key because here's the thing. If you can force them into tough shots, this is not a team that's going to be able to rebound against you all that well. They average 30.7 rebounds per game. This year, which is 353rd in the country and 6.3 offensive rebounds, 357th in the country. So if you force them into tough shots, you should be able to have pretty good success against them on the glass, and it should allow for you uh, to have a, you know, establish a pretty strong lead as long as you are uh, having a nice day for yourself on the offensive end.
1: Carolina enters with an 89% chance to win the game according to ESPN's matchup predictor. Um, I'll simply ask you, buddy, does Carolina win their second in a row and improve to 11-5 and five overall and 3-2 and two in the Atlantic Coast Conference? I think they do. I think it's going to be one of these games where
0: probably at the, un, uh, the under 12, maybe even the under 8 timeout, we're sitting there kind of scratching our heads as to why is why is Notre Dame still in this game? It'll look a little ugly early on, but I think Carolina will get some things ironed out, especially in that second half, and I think they'll pick up a, a pretty comfortable win. Um, I think it'll be one of those games where – Maybe the, the the result is never in doubt, but it always has felt like Notre Dame's just one of those teams that hangs around no matter how good they are. Carolina's always going to get a test from them. I think when you combine it with when Carolina is playing this game, I think that could lead for a little bit of a closer game than probably some expect, but I think Carolina in the end will pick up a, you know, a pretty comfortable lead by double digits.
1: I'm right there with you. I do think Carolina does win to win their second straight heading into that all-important showdown with Virginia next Tuesday night. Well, no matter if Carolina wins or loses, we'll have you covered at heeltuffblog.com where you can get the latest on both Tar Heel basketball and Tar Heel football. Go back and check out the recap from the win over Wake Forest. I'll be getting you ready with the preview Uh, for the Notre Dame game. Of course, there'll be a recap posted on the site as well. As for Tar Heel football, they're in the offseason, but they didn't have an offensive lineman go into the NFL draft. Go find out who that player is and how Carolina can fill, fill his void next season. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast, but more importantly, Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, it is gonna wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go tar heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that!